This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Support comes from Sanderson Farm Championship October 26th through 30th at the Jackson Country Club. The tournament, benefiting Friends of Children's Hospital, last year raised over $1 million. Event details at sandersonfarmchampionship.com. Welcome back. It is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening on this Thursday morning. Plenty to get into, as always, on uh, what is now the fall. Hey, yay. The cold weather. It's going to feel like fall well, tomorrow. Yeah, not, not the cold weather, I won't say. But uh, the uh, the fall weather has uh, arrived, and it is not summertime anymore. Although I will tell you, I was in Memphis for a couple of days earlier this week. And, um, and got you a shirt, I see. I did. Because I'll help the listeners. Uh, I'll bring the <laughs> listeners into our show. There was a, uh, a a day where my wife and I went out to uh, enjoy Beale Street during the daytime, and it was 87 degrees in late October, so that was a lot of fun. But I heard a buddy of mine on the radio today talking about how uh, he was going to do some uh, uh, sports engagement on the radio Friday night up in the Delta in Greenwood, and the expected high temperature will be 60. Eight on Friday night there, and that sounds just about right, Sam. That's gonna be yeah, a, it's gonna be, be nice. real, uh, real nice. The low Saturday morning uh, in uh, the Jackson Metro is forty three. Okay, and uh, I believe the low up in North Mississippi around the uh, Oxford Tupelo uh, corridor there, the well, just North Mississippi. It's not really a corridor. Uh, is in the thirties. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it's an imaginary corridor. There's, as, a, there's uh, a line there. It's gonna be cold, man. That's some cold weather for me. Oh, anyway, no, that's good, man. Especially since it's been, you know, 75 degrees in the morning. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, and uh, and like you said, mid to late October. Certainly doesn't feel like or didn't feel like fair weather. Yeah. As uh, as the fair, the Mid-South Fair, and then the the, Jackson, the uh, Mississippi State Fair were in, in uh, South Haven and Jackson the last couple of weeks. That's right. And then this week you got the uh, Jackson County Fair going on in Pascagoula, which yeah. is uh, – a big thing. I know the big fair at the uh, Coast Coliseum is earlier in the summer. So uh, uh, weather be danged, they say. <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of the summer. Sam, we got a, a, a great lineup coming up today here in about 10 minutes. we got Rick Cleveland coming on. Uh, of course, he's been on the show many, many times. Uh, can't have him on enough with his uh, uh, his lifetime of experiences with Mississippi sports. And this time, uh, now he won't do it, but we'll get to brag on him a little bit uh, because uh, it it's not – uh, him uh, recalling a, a great story or some accolades from someone else, but it's actually him who is receiving some recognition this time. He's part of uh, what is a star-studded 2017 Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame class, uh, which includes Marcus Dupree and others. Uh, and I heard, and maybe we'll ask him about this, uh, when this was first announced, the first question I was asked is, how is Marcus Dupree just getting into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame? Well, that's an interesting question, and there's probably an answer for that. I think the biggest answer is probably that you can only, I believe, the limit the limitations on the Mississippi Sports Hall are six inductees annually, and uh, one of those has to be um, deceased. So um, there you go. So I think that's kind of that kind of bottlenecks it to a certain extent, and there are plenty of people 
that um, not only are not in the hall, but have not been nominated yet, that certainly uh, deserve it. So very yeah. interesting. We'll talk to him about that process also. That's not coming to, up in about 10 minutes. Not to be uh, crass about Marcus Dupree, but, uh, you know, uh, what do they call him, the best that ever was? Maybe that's why he hadn't been in the Hall of Fame yet. Well, I think... A great, high, you know, great high school player, fantastic high school player, uh, had a couple of flashes of greatness at Oklahoma, but uh, injuries really derailed his injuries and some and some poor uh, <laughs> decision-making as far as who he has around him uh, really derailed yeah. his career. But um, seems to have gotten it back together just a, a little bit, a great documentary on ESPN, and, uh, man, he's everywhere now. Absolutely. Everywhere. And I'm glad he's getting to enjoy a little bit of fame that he yeah. would have gotten. He's kind of, he he's, 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 of course, it's not, you know, as, as it's not what he would have wanted. Of course, he wanted to be the superstar running back that everybody thought he was going to oh, be. Yeah. But at least he gets to enjoy some of the legend. Sure. That that he helped create. I wonder if Marcus Dupree played in the time of Internet and recruiting rankings and uh, multiple recruiting services giving stars and grades to players. I wonder uh, what kind of buzz that would have generated for Marcus Dupree. Already a guy who uh, playing in, uh, you know, your your, I guess whatever it is, your your prototypical podunk town in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi. Yeah, he was a Philadelphia he, high school tornado, uh, wasn't he? Yeah, and, but but what I'm saying is, you yeah, know, it's yeah. small. The way everybody else looks in at us, it's small town Hickville, Mississippi, you know, where there's nothing else to do but, you know, I guess lift weights and run and play football on Friday nights. <laughs> this guy um, creates, like we said, like this legend yeah. uh, playing uh, when he did in time, which is a pretty remarkable feat. Yeah. When basically all you had at the time to get out video and uh basically spread information about what it is he did and what he could do is you had uh, the newspaper that could basically retell the story and give you the stats and then if any of the state's local news media got a chance to go out there and film the game and then had a chance to distribute it to the networks who would redistribute it to other affiliates and it's not like i mean look at the time when he played it's not you didn't I mean, it you did have more stations than just the ones in Jackson and on the coast and Hattiesburg, but it's not, I mean, you didn't have, not every town in the state had, uh, or every you know, you know, semi-major stop on the on the interstate had a television station, kind of like the way it is now. So very, very interesting. Also today, Michael Spurlock on the program. And this is interesting. This is going to be a... a um, I don't want to say... I'm not sure how much fun it'll be, but we'll see. We'll see how much well, fun it'll be. Well, this weekend, I think, maybe for bystanders, uh, this is this is a fun angle on the, this weekend's Ole Miss-LSU game. I was asked last night, I was doing a thing for TV, I'll be on this week on Channel 12 in Jackson, uh, calculated risk for those folks, putting me on the television. But uh, I was asked who this game means more to for who does this game mean whom well i don't know i'm using the words who does this game mean more for this weekend i still don't think i got that sentence right but i think you understand where i'm trying to go here yeah lsu or Ole miss what do you say sam i would say um that it means more currently to lsu because the tigers uh and ed orgeron need a win to possibly retain this coaching job 
Um, after last week's disastrous defensive display by Ole Miss, I think Hugh Freeze and his uh, Rebel defense need to prove that there is, in fact, a backbone somewhere on that defensive side of the ball uh, because they didn't show it very much last weekend in Arkansas. As far as the Orgeron angle of it goes, I I think a lot of people, and this is just from, you know, when I worked at, uh, at Ole Miss in the sports information department the last, his first season, my last year in college, I think a lot of people would like to forget <laughs> 2005 to 2007 on the football side of things. Um, and maybe Michael can shred some, uh, shed some light on that. I know there are some interviews out there with some other former players who uh, were not um, afraid to not, not that I'm saying anyone is afraid to do anything but no one uh, but the, some some words and some stories were not held back on uh, with regard to some situations and things that happened uh, with Ed Orgeron there uh, be it the tough practices uh, that uh, he put the team through on a daily basis um, the uh, some belittlement uh, that he did um which i experienced a little bit of with the media with uh, workers at the university with the team uh and things like that i mean it was not a uh the wild boys stories and all that stuff are all kind of funny to hear but when you have to go through it it uh it was not a pleasant experience for the vast majority of the folks that were related or that were associated with that football program so um you know and uh i think uh and it was an experiment that uh, clearly failed <laughs> and is having repercussions on Ed Orgeron's career throughout. But it seems like he's learned his lesson LSU. I heard practice for 30 minutes on Monday. I think he did and, learn. Uh, I think he did learn an incredible amount from his experience at Ole Miss. That's unfortunate for Ole Miss folks. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think certainly there is a lot of value to having Ed Orgeron as part of your football staff. Uh, no doubt. Um and there always has been to uh, and everyone, to some extent. Everyone that uh, that spoke about him uh, from the Ole Miss perspective this week and uh, the, the end of last week sh- uh, said that said just that. I mean, his his energy, his enthusiasm, his work ethic, uh, his recruiting ability, all were on full display when he was in Oxford. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, some of that stuff spilled over into some other aspects of the program that maybe could have been handled a different way. And I say this, and I know you spit when I say this. <laughs> Other Ole Miss fans curse when I say this, but man, if he doesn't go for that fourth down in his last season, his last game against Mississippi State at midfield, and State stops him, and Ole Miss had dominated that game. I was there, uh, they and it did. It, it, it kind of it opened up the gate. Mississippi State to that point, State had three first downs. Right, Mississippi State winds up coming back and winning that game. A lot of it was based around that fourth down decision. Uh, he was fired after that game, did not come back for the next season. The had after. he made it to that next year, uh, he would have had uh, Jevin Sneed as his quarterback, a guy who he recruited and uh, and, and got into camp uh, yeah. under his watch. Yeah. If he makes it to that next year when Sneed is the quarterback, man, I, I think the the entire legacy of his time at Ole Miss may go in a different direction. Hugh Freeze said that. Hugh Freeze said that just that in the press conference on Monday. And don't forget too, Jay, he found uh uh he found the legend that is Greg Hardy. Or that was Greg Hardy. <laughs> but when before Greg went on his Well his, now he's an MMA MMA fighter. His so. uh, his crazy rampage. He had a fifteen tackle like ten sack game against Alabama in two thousand and five while Ed Orgeron was at Ole Miss. So uh, you know there he found a lot of players now. He found Dexter McCluster um 
uh, there's a lot of talent that was on Ole Miss's team that Ole Miss counted on and cheered for and watched blossom into big-time stars uh, under Houston Nutt after they maybe uh, got a little rest <laughs> from from some of the tough practices. But we'll ask Michael about that. It'll be interesting because Michael was his first quarterback. Yeah, he took the first snap of the Ed Orgeron era, a rollout pass against Memphis, a play-action fake on a rollout against Memphis. I think he completed it to Mario Hill for eight yards for the How first time. For the first uh, pass and, Mr. And History play. book here. Yeah, I looked it up yesterday, so I was uh, checking it out. Well, I'm trying to jog my memory about some of that stuff. I tell you this, taking all the head coaches out of it, Michael Spurlock, um, you know, he was the guy that followed the guy, and you never want to be that guy. That's, I mean, it's just that's that's a thing in sports. Not not necessarily just sports, but anything. Where we can ask him. You too. follow a guy that's had uh, and and just an incredible amount of success. He is the quarterback that started at Ole Miss post Eli, correct? Yes. Uh, the first guy after Eli, and that's just, I don't know, uh, was second on the depth chart behind him. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 by the time he was a senior, uh, you know, he started a handful of games as a quarterback. I think in the Egg Bowl he started as a tailback. So they kind of moved him around. Well, it makes you wonder if he would have played in this day and age. That's what I was going to say. If he was um, a quarterback now, look out, man. Yeah. I mean, or if he – I mean, look, I mean – Who's um, why did my mind just go blank? The guy, Reggie Collier, Southern Miss. Just depends on the time and where you are and what the system is. You know, Collier played in a system where it allowed him to both succeed as a thrower and a runner in a time where that was kind of an unheard of thing. Yeah. Uh, if Spurlock had just been in a situation where he could do that, who knows uh, how his career would have played out? Was an absolute legend at Gentry High School in Indianola, and to just to just go to show you what kind of an athlete he is um, after starting, you know, what I think, you know, somewhere around 20 games in his career as a quarterback at Ole Miss, the guy goes on and plays in the NFL for just shy of a decade yeah. as a kick returner and punt returner and was a difference maker Yeah, uh, to play, to play, to have a career that's basically a decade long as a special teams guy, you've got to be an ace. Uh, and as far as punt and kick returning goes, Dude was an ace. Yeah, I mean, uh, Saints fans will remember a uh, a kick return that ended their perfect season in 2009 when they won the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Michael yeah. Spurlock, man. Michael Spurlock returned that punt yeah. to beat the Saints and with about I two think, minutes left. And this is interesting. I think right now he's working with the Cowboys, uh, which is very so interesting. So it's his, it's his fault. that uh, it's, it's all on his watch that Dak Prescott is doing all his. <laughs> you could say it's under his under his Tutelage. guidance. Yes. Yeah, there you go. All right, so we'll take a break. When we come back, Rick Cleveland, Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame historian uh, and uh, syndicated columnist, sports columnist around the state of Mississippi. It's going to be part of the 2017 Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame class. We'll speak with him later on. Michael Spurlock, former Ole Miss quarterback and eight-year NFL kick punt return specialist, Indianola Gentry legend. That's all coming up. This is MPB Season Pass. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Thank you for having a great program. You guys are doing a great job, man, enjoying the show. Wow, it's such an insightful program. MPB Mississippi is our mission.
welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. Here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have Michael Spurlock. I, I misread a text from my producer, or I didn't read it thoroughly. How about that? I didn't misread it. I didn't misremember or anything like that. Uh, too much honesty. I should be a politician. Uh, so we're going to have Michael Spurlock here in just a moment. We'll have Rick Cleveland a little bit later on in the show from the 2017 Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame class. Uh, got a chance to speak with Michael a couple weeks ago. He was on Friday night under the lights and got to talk to him about uh, a little bit of uh, the legend that he created at uh, Indianola Gentry uh, as a, a quarterback there and uh, then went on to Ole Miss. Very interesting. Ole Miss versus LSU this weekend and uh, a familiar face. Uh, maybe if some fans haven't blacked out the memory, but uh, <laughs> a familiar face to Ole Miss fans will be stalking the sidelines uh, for uh, Red Stick this weekend at Orgeron. It's going to be very interesting. We welcome in Michael Spurlock now to the program. Uh, Michael, thank you for your time. How you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing good. How y'all doing? We're doing well, man. Uh, tell First thought um, uh, just your thoughts about Ed Orgeron, uh, for the time being anyway, being the head football coach at LSU. What do you think about that? Oh, uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, I think he's going to get the opportunity to be a head coach again. Uh, he had the interim job for USC, and now he's at LSU, which is kind of in his neck of the woods. A great recruiter. Um, you know, everybody talk about his, I mean, when he coached Ed Ole Miss, but you know, nobody knows what you go through unless you get in those shoes. And I think he's done. He's grown as a head coach as well as a coach. And, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for him. And I don't want him to win this weekend, but I want him to win uh, after this game. But, uh, I mean, I think he, he's he got those guys pumped up and ready to play, and we'll see what happens. Mike, it's interesting. Uh, you know, he took over after David Cutcliffe was at Ole Miss and uh, – I was I was not on the football team, and I did work at the sports information department at Ole Miss at the time. So the the mood around the building was a little bit different uh, than it was with Coach Cutcliffe. <laughs> what was it like being on the football team and having a guy like David Cutcliffe, who was kind of a mild mannered, you know, father figure type uh, uh, guy to everyone, uh, to having uh, Coach Ed Orgeron in there, who whew, he was, was fiery. He was very fiery in the morning. I can tell you, I can tell you that. Uh, well, it was uh, two two different ends of the spectrum, Coach Cutcliffe. Like you said, it was a father figure, and uh, pretty much you looked at him as a father, Coach Georgia, and if you would have given him a hip in the past, he probably would have gotten out there and uh, played. I mean, it was a couple times in practice where he kind of jumped in and uh, in the piles when the fumble and stuff like that. So he's <laughs> yeah. just fiery, very pumped up, and, I mean, he goes from, I know we were working out at 5.30, he was fired up and, uh, I remember training camps, it would be 7, 8 o'clock at night. He's still fired up. So he's just a, a different uh, different type of guy. But, I mean, at the same time, uh, it takes different guys to win. There's uh, cut clippers that do now winning that way. So uh, it's not a bad thing. It's just uh, what it takes to get your guys to play for you and to get W's. Having been uh, at, a, at a high level of the college game and then playing for nearly a decade in the NFL, what do you think, from what you've seen and now working in the league also, what do you think is the biggest step for for an individual from being an assistant to being the point guy, from to being the head coach and being the guy that has to uh, answer for all the decisions and make those hard decisions? What's the biggest part of that jump from an assistant to a head coach? Uh, 
this is just my opinion. I've never done it, uh, but I would probably say if you're an offensive guy or a defensive guy having to pick a side, oh, yeah. you know, normally you either offensive or defense where as a head coach, you got to be down the middle. Um, I think that's the hardest thing I play for a couple different guys that's offensive and defensive-minded guys, and especially when you become the head coach of the same team that you were a position coach at, it's hard to separate yourself. And I think that's the hardest thing to separate yourself from being like, these are my 12 guys to now this is my team. Hmm. I think that's the hardest thing to do. Now, Mike, I've I've heard some – uh, some crazy stories about uh, Ed and then uh, practices and and shirts being ripped off and uh, you know uh, of course a scrimmage being played before a, a football game uh, allegedly uh, at Ole Miss that was after your time was over with. Do you have any? I don't want to say like stories. I mean I know you don't want to. I don't, I'm not trying to get you to uh, say anything negative about the guy because uh, clearly he did make an impact on you when he was a head coach at Ole Miss. But uh, were the practices? Uh, do you remember ever working that hard uh, before or since? Because uh, man, they were pretty rough from what I remember. I think hard is uh, is an understatement. Uh, it made you really realize if you like football or you love football. Uh, I mean, he just. He, every day it was an intense day, and I mean, you just look at the guys that come out of it. Uh, you got Patrick Willis, Mike Wallace, uh, Michael Orr, um, Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis. I mean, some great guys went through that. Uh, not that we we enjoyed it, but he made you, if you're gonna play football and you're gonna play at a high level, he made you understand what it takes, and he pushed you to that limit. I mean, it was. It was uh, those Junction Boys days where you were looking like, man, that education looks so good right now. Um, man. But, yeah, he he made football, it, it became a job to the point of, like, it was intense. Every day was an intense day, and uh, I don't regret it because it, I think it helped uh, when we got to the NFL as well as um, coaching and everything. I think it helped because, you know, it, it People, life, the way that they feed their family, they're counting on you. You don't realize that as an 18-year-old kid, but essentially that's what it is. They're, they have to get the best out of I mean, push you to get the best out of you in order to keep their jobs, and that's how they feed their family. So uh, he made practices probably way harder than the game. The game was easy. Like, we were happy to get to the game. Uh, <laughs> he did. He made, he made practices. If you thought that you – to run 140, he he tried to see could you run 10 more 40s, and I mean he made it intense and made it competitive in everything that you do. If you ain't know how to do nothing else, you knew how to compete every day. <laughs> you knew it was gonna be uh, a full day's work. When you're with the Cowboys now, are you, uh, and some of these guys are like, man, it's so hard. Are you like, are, do, do you, you don't even know what hard is? <laughs> uh, I laugh. I laugh because uh, you know they kind of cut back everything to uh, make sure the health and the safety of the players. Uh, I, I just look and like, man, y'all say this is hard. Y'all have no idea. None. So, uh, yeah, you know, but I think that's even for my generation, people that were before me, when I said it was hard and the older uh, guys that played looking like, no, nah, it was harder when we played. You know, everybody thinks it's harder because that's what you're going through. Um, so, you know, you just take it and uh, learn from it and you just try to instill those uh, values for hard work no matter what it is. 
uh, I, Coach Cook, as I always say, you know, you train the mind and the body will follow. So uh, Coach Orgeron pushed that point to to the nth degree. Uh, <laughs> you'll be surprised what your body will do. If, you, if, if he has your mind and can get your mind to do something, you'll be surprised what your body, uh, how your body performs. And, uh, I mean, you just look at LSU now, uh, different energy, uh, and I just think that plays a part in it. You know, Coach Cutcliffe, he is a different uh, style of player, but you look at Duke, I mean, when the last time were you talking about Duke football, you normally you think, when you say Duke, you think Duke basketball, and now he's turning Duke into, okay, you got to make sure you're talking about basketball or football, you have to make that specific. And, uh, you know, just different coaches get different, uh, results out of their guys. It doesn't make them a good or bad coach. The only thing makes them a good or bad coach is everybody knows. You look at their record. You look at guys that they they had. What are, what are those guys doing in life, as well as their winning record? And I mean, you look at Coach Orgeron and Coach Cutcliffe. I think I couldn't have had two better coaches. And uh, hopefully, we as Ole Miss can step up this weekend. We we got to do big, big things this weekend. I got a few LSU guys that uh, kind of knocking on my door uh, on Saturday night. <laughs> nah, there you go. Michael, let me ask you, we're speaking with Michael Spurlock, uh, former Indianola Gentry legend, um, eight-year veteran in the NFL, Ole Miss quarterback, played with the Cardinals, Bucks, 49ers, uh, Chargers, Chargers, Jaguars, Lions, Cowboys, Bears. There's a joke there. But, uh, uh, man, let me ask you, um, you at Ole Miss, uh, I mess with Sam, and there, there's a there's a saying I like to evoke. Not, I mean, it's in business, in politics, in sports. You never want to be the guy that follows the guy, and and you were faced with that task at Ole Miss. You followed a right. guy who is, I mean, his last name is on a street. It's royalty at Ole Miss. You followed a Manning into the quarterback spot at Ole Miss. What was that like before you were even the starter and then the season leading into um, uh, your first starting campaign at Ole Miss? What was that like and, and, and you know, having to, I don't, I don't want to say live it down or live up to it or whatever it was, but what was that like fighting through that? Uh, I mean, first of all, I, the reason that I wanted to go to Ole Miss, one, it was fam- family uh, atmosphere as well as, you know, everybody – and recruiting, they want to go where they can play right away. Um, but I think it was a great opportunity to learn uh, from the Mannings, from Eli, being around him three years, uh, just seeing what he had to go through, being a Manning, being uh, the, the younger brother of Peyton Manning, the son of Archie Manning. You know, so I got to see that. I learned work ethic. I learned competing. I mean, people talk about him. But I think he's one of the most fierce competitors. He just does it in a different way. Uh, I remember sitting in meetings and he would go through the media guide and look at the records, and you could tell his wheels were turning. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it was a great, a great time for me. It was, it was a tough time because, yeah, I mean, Eli Manning first pick overall. Those are some big shoes to fill, and you try not to fill them. You just try to do your thing, but at the same time, uh, you do want to continue the the legacy. You want to continue winning, and we, we weren't able to do that, but uh, it was tough 
but at the same time, I think it it helped grow, it helped mature me. Um, and at the end of the day, we, we were all striving for the same thing is to get the opportunity to play in the NFL, and I did that. So um, if I could do it 10, 10 more times, I would. Let me ask you, uh, as we let you go here, at Gentry, I, I know you played basketball. You were a, a shortstop and a pitcher on the baseball team as well as the time you spent playing football. How close were you to choosing a different sport to go forward with? Or what? Or at what point did you did you know that football was the thing that was going to carry you into your adulthood? Uh, well, never knew. Um, baseball, only reason that I – well, I'm not going to say the only reason – um, everybody wanted me to recruit me for football. Coach Marion Harvey, who's the D-line coach at uh, Clemson, recruited me. And I told him, I was like, hey, I want to come, but you got to let me play baseball. <laughs> baseball was my love. I didn't like football. The only reason I played football is because my school wasn't a baseball school. And they were People were getting scholarships for football. So I said, well, if I play football, they got to let me play baseball. And um, I went to Ole Miss, me and Seth Smith came in at the same time. He ended up being the freshman, Mr. Everything, and they needed somebody to go back and do uh, spring ball. So he got to do baseball, and I had to go back and do football. So oh, man. that kind of set the stage to where, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's still playing baseball right now. Oh, yeah. And I'm finished playing football. So we both kind of. Uh, had the decision kind of handed to us, and we both, I think, made the best of our opportunities. Yeah, I guess it worked out for both of you pretty well. And too, <laughs> too good at football, I understand. Hey, Michael, thank you so much <laughs> for your time, man. It's great to catch up with you again, and we hope to speak to you real soon, all right? All right, no problem. Thank you. Y'all have a great evening. You too. Michael Spurlock. Bye-bye. Uh, Indianola Gentry. Hey, about this senior he was, year. He, his senior year was my senior year, and I was on the homecoming court at Clinton and uh, got a front row seat to Michael <laughs> rolling up about 900 yards against uh, the Clinton Arrow uh, team that actually almost won the state title that year. So I was going to say, his senior year, 4,500 yards of offense and 45 touchdowns, 3,300 through the air and 35 touchdown passes, 1,100 on the ground and another 10 uh, touchdowns that he rushed for. And uh, at one point, I say this, I'm reading this off Wikipedia, and that's where you get in trouble, Sam, Yeah, is when you read Wikipedia like it's fact. But it says here that he currently holds the Mississippi High School state record for passing yards in a game at 581 and touchdowns in a game with nine. I don't know if that's, um, uh, I don't know if that's been uh, Brennan-proofed, uh, these <laughs> numbers right here, and what Miles uh, 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 Brennan has done this year. Yeah. At St. Stanislaus, including, I guess, what, uh, was it two weeks ago, he broke the career Mississippi touchdown passing record. That guy's just insane what he's done. Uh, But, um, yeah, pretty remarkable time at Gentry. And uh, pretty interesting. I I didn't realize that he and Seth, both quarterbacks. Yeah. uh, Seth played, what, at Hillcrest? Yes, he did. He played Um, at Hillcrest. Hillcrest Christian. And uh, both come in at the same time as, like, quarterbacking baseball players. Yeah. It was, wow, uh, that's pretty remarkable. I never Seth put all one, that together. At one point in Seth's freshman year at Ole Miss, Seth was hitting 540. <laughs> it was around like the middle of April. Now he cooled off a, I don't want to say a, a good bit, because he ended up hitting, I think, 420 or something like that. And that was kind of during a different era of bats and things like that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think at one point David Kellum, the voice of the Ole Miss Rebels, uh, when Seth made a catch in the outfield on 
some crazy play and then in the bottom of the inning like hit a home run i think kellum's response to the home run was the game of baseball is too easy for seth yeah Smith. i remember that and, i absolutely uh, remember that and he turns out to be right seth is one of the best uh, uh i got a little soft spot in my heart for old seth me and him are buddies and uh, my dad and his dad are friends seth is uh, one of the nicest guys his wife is is great and uh, he is one of the best players, I think, that uh, never has gotten an opportunity to play every day. And if he, if he would have got, give, been given the, uh, the shot at it, I think he really would have turned into a, a great everyday outfielder. He's one of the best pinch hitters in the league right now. So, Well, I mean, to your point, I mean, he's kind of been pigeonholed as a guy that hits right-handed pitching. Yeah. So he, he, he winds up in these outfield platoon situations. But there's something to be said for that. I mean, he's, he is an, uh, he's, he's an ace. Uh, as that. part of those platoons, and, and just like Michael, yeah. who because of his ability to maximize a talent, hung around the league for I mean what oh six to fourteen. Yeah. That's an insane amount of guy. Number one, who plays in the most dangerous play in the game, the kick and punt returns. Yep, it is a it is it is a a play in a position that is relied upon speed more than speed and quickness more than anything else, and to play that position for eight years is pretty remarkable. Uh, but you know both those guys that they're, they're <laughs> both of them playing come in at the same time as quarterbacks at Ole Miss, and then you see, uh, boy, what was going on? Yeah, uh, one of those guys turns out to be uh, what like a, a twelve, thirteen year major leaguer, and the other guy turns into be like uh, an all pro kick returner. All right, yeah. the quarterback room at Ole Miss in two thousand and one was pretty remarkable as far as what <laughs> happened. I mean, Eli Manning, of course, winning back to back Super Bowl MVP, or you know, winning two Super Bowl MVPs, two Super Bowls. Seth played in a couple of World Series, and like you said, is still banging around in the uh, in the major leagues and uh, signed a, a contract a couple of years ago. Of course, he's with the Seattle Mariners now, but signed a three year, twenty million dollar deal with the San Diego Padres a couple of years ago. So hey, he's doing all right. And one of those guys wound up being a quarterback. And then uh, yeah. <laughs> So it's uh, and one of them ended up. Yeah, no, you're right. And then uh, Seth of course, like too. So you know, Seth crazy. is a wow. guy from South Jackson who played for the Oakland A's. That guy's living my life. Yeah, he is. He Doing is. a little Johnny Mox in here for yeah. you. All right, there we'll take go. a break. When we come back, Rick Cleveland from the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. We'll talk about uh, the 2017 class for the Hall of Fame, a uh, class in which he is also. Uh, and inductee. Very cool. We'll have that on the other side of this timeout with Sam Wells and Jay White. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening on this Thursday morning. Uh, time to welcome back a familiar voice to the program. Once again, Rick Cleveland uh, to the program. Rick, thank you for your time. Good morning. Uh, good to be with you guys. Absolutely. And I apologize. I uh, I miscommunicated to you about 1020. That was me 
not thoroughly uh, reading something that my producer had uh, tried to convey to me. Uh, so see, you don't have to tell people this. That, that's no on one me. knows. That, that's all on me. Well, I'd already said that it was going to be on at 1020, and I was totally misspeaking. But, uh, man, let me ask you, congratulations, first off, on being inducted into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame, something that you have poured, I know, a lot of time and effort and thought and uh, and your will into over these many years to get going and then to continue to flourish. Well, I've, I've said several times since it was announced that I don't think anybody appreciates uh, the history and the and the and what it takes to get into the Hall of Fame more than I do. I don't mean that in any kind of egotistical way. I just know. I know this state's athletic history, and I know, uh, you know, I, I know how many deserving athletes and coaches and administrators are are, are not in it yet, and uh, and that makes it all the more meaningful to me. Rick, before we get into some of the other guys that are that you're going to share this 2017 class with, uh, I spoke with you about this a couple weeks ago on uh, another show that I do, but. Uh, and I knew a little bit about the the planning phase of this, and uh, you know, guys like you and um, uh, Michael Rubenstein had, had had long talked about how to get this, you know, where it was going. But you told the story about how um, uh, Jim Buck Ross actually, I guess, to a certain extent, green lighted this idea after after he uh, found out that this was something that that you wrote about needed to happen correct yeah uh i'll put it this way there wouldn't be a mississippi sports hall of fame museum if it hadn't been for jim buck ross uh i mean there's just no question about it i i was going over to the mississippi coliseum in 1993 to write a column from the state basketball tournament and as I was walking around the, the uh, concourse, I noticed the Hall of Fame plaques, which is where they used to be, hanging on the wall, uh, uh, faded and scratched up and dusty. Uh, and it just struck me that day that it, it was a mighty poor way to treat some of the greatest athletes in the history of the world. And uh, and instead of writing about the basketball tournament that day, I wrote a column about the need for us to do a better job of honoring our sports heritage and our heroes. And, uh, you know, the next day I got a call from Jim Buck Ross at the office, and, uh, and basically he said if I really wanted that to happen, that he had a plan, would I come listen to it? And make a long story short, I did, and his plan – was to uh, rebid the soft drink rights at all the venues that he controlled as the commissioner of agriculture, which included, you know, strangely enough, Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium. I, I never have known how come the, <laughs> the ag commissioner controlled the soft drink rights to it, but he did, and, and the state fair and the coliseum uh, and the state fairgrounds. And, and, and of course, his own agricultural museum and uh so that's what he did and he got a, a one million dollars in seed money from that and then he he basically took that to the state legislature looking for a, a matching million and instead got three million 
Wow. So the end result was that we had four million dollars to uh, to to build uh, what is uh, opened on July fourth, nineteen ninety six, and is the you know the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame and Museum. Wow. How about that? I mean that's that's a that's a great story. I is does it ever occur to you sometimes when you're about to go into a column and you've written a bajillion of these that the the thing that you're about to write you know, may inspire somebody to do something extraordinary or, you know, change the course of history with regard to a specific thing, like in this, in, in, with this example, the Hall of Fame. Some, some that you think are really good ideas, you know, no, no, no I'm really, you know, it doesn't strike a chord. And then others like that one, or I remember in uh, 1983 writing a column that said that, uh, Mississippi Valley and Alcorn should switch their game to Jackson, where it was supposed to be played at Inabita. Both teams were undefeated. I mean, you remember the story of Jerry yeah. Rice and Willie Totten and Marino Chasm at Alcorn, both teams undefeated. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, they did move it and played it on a Sunday and, and had at that time the biggest crowd in Mississippi history to, to, to watch a football game. And I'm, you know, hardly a week goes by when I don't hear people talking about that game and how special that day was. Rick, uh, a little a little bit off topic here, but uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Dak Prescott and what he's doing with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, uh, it's one of the more illustrious positions in all of sports to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, kind of like the shortstop of the New York Yankees. You know, he's no stranger as far as Mississippians go to being in the NFL and being a uh, and being a quarterback. But uh, not many of them have done it as fast and uh, and as good as uh, as Dak has been so far. I, I'm, you know, I've got to admit that I'm surprised that he's having this kind of success he's having this quickly. I, I, but I was also really surprised that he lasted to the fourth round of the draft. Uh, I, I, I couldn't understand that. You know, what that essentially means is that 32 teams misjudged him, including the Cowboys. Twice, yeah. Because, you know, he's clearly a first-round talent. Uh, but he's, he is showing poise and command of the game as well as the physical uh, abilities that you have to have uh, – and uh, you know, couldn't in my mind couldn't happen to a, a better person, and and I'm I'm really you know pleased to see what he's doing, and and I cannot imagine that even Jerry Jones would make a switch right now, uh, but you never know. <laughs> Yeah, Rick, speak to the historical aspect of that for Mississippi State. You know, the big three have had, you know, Norris Weiss played uh, quarterback for, Ole, uh, you know, for the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl from Ole Miss. And, uh, of course, Eli and uh, Charlie Connerly and, uh, you know, of course, Southern Miss with Brett Favre. But uh, Mississippi State hasn't really had a quarterback start and play this well in the NFL before. I mean, this has to be big for their for their program. And have they? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you know more than I that they have had a quarterback start in the NFL. Well, they had uh, Joe Reed started uh, briefly uh, in the NFL, but but other other than that, no, they haven't. Unless it you know might have been a a strike year or something with a replacement player that I'm that I'm not aware of. Uh, no, he he's the first. Now Jackie Parker could have played in the NFL. There's no question about that. He's, CFL legend, right? Uh, Jackie Parker, uh, 
you know, would have been a contemporary of Charlie Connerly in the, in the NFL and would have and would have played and would have been a star. But he was uh, he's generally recognized as the greatest player in the history of the Canadian Football League. But but Jackie could have, but he didn't. And uh, yeah, Dak Dak Dak's the first one, uh, and really. Uh, should have a long, long career because they're, uh, he obviously has the skills and the and the mental acumen. But plus, he's always been durable, even during his state, days at state. Uh, who will ever forget him coming off the bench uh, in the fourth quarter, kind of carrying his left shoulder and 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 <laughs> and taking state to victory in the Egg Bowl. Rick, can you? Does it surprise you uh, your years dealing, not dealing with necessarily, but experiencing how fans uh, process winning and losing? But in Mississippi, with the way it had been for the longest time, is it surprising to you that there are a lot of Mississippi State fans out there that have exhibited such a short leash with Dan Mullen, with Mississippi State being two and four this year, and a lot of people are just beside themselves with the season they're having and uh, are, are giving Dan zero slack with what he's accomplished at Mississippi State thus far? Uh, well, I, you know, nothing really, su- <laughs> <laughs> nothing really surprises me. Uh, I mean, I, I remember how quickly a lot of old Miss people abandoned David Cutcliffe. Uh, I, I remember, I mean, for goodness sakes, Southern Miss fire Jeff Bauer. Uh, <laughs> so nothing, nothing really surprises me. But I think the one thing we always forget when this kind of thing's going on, and it's probably maybe ten to twenty percent of Mississippi State people who are maybe not even that much. But it's like the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, and I, I do think there's probably a whole lot more. Mississippi State fans who understand that, you know, just two, I mean, two years ago, right now, Mississippi State was the number one team in the country. Right. You lose a player like Dak Prescott, and and you're going to, same way Cutcliffe did with Eli Manning, you're going to go through a period like this. You're you're usually going to go through some down periods. I mean, Prescott was a guy who was not only excellent himself, but he made everybody around him better. You know, I've written this. The offensive line doesn't have to hold its blocks so much. You you know, the the receivers catch the ball uh, in stride. The uh, running backs have more running space because everybody's worried about that, keeping the ball and running himself. And and then the defense doesn't have to stay on the field as long. Because I mean, because a lot of their drives were long ball control drives with Prescott. So he made a difference in the entire team, and and it's going to take a year or two to recover from that. Well, Rick, man, congratulations on being named uh, to the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Part of of what is going to be, and we didn't have time to get into it today, but a star-studded. Uh, 2017 class, uh, maybe the the most legendary HBCU baseball coach of all time, uh, maybe the most <laughs> the, the 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 biggest legend in the history of high school football in our country, and uh, a World Series Game Seven winner among others. So uh, thank you so much for your time and congratulations. 
Well, thank you all. I always enjoy uh, being with you, and, and, and thanks for what you do for Mississippi sports. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Rick Cleveland, uh, historian, Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame, also uh, statewide uh, syndicated columnist, longtime uh, writer for the Clarion Ledger. Uh, yeah, Bob Braddy, longtime Jackson State baseball coach. Who's the Game 7 winning pitcher? Jay Powell. Oh, yeah. Jay Powell yeah, won a seven, The nice... last time the Cleveland Indians were in the World Series. <laughs> right. Uh, boy, let me tell you something. The Cubs, well, they answered the bell last night. Yeah, I After being you. shut out a couple nights in a row and mustering four hits over, what, like 18 innings or yeah, something like 19. that. They, uh, they answered the bell because if they fell in a 3-1 hole with another road game, uh, plus all of the pressure of this being the Cubs, man, that would have been a, almost more than you could expect anybody to dig out of. But yeah. uh, that was a big, big game that they played. Uh, John Lackey's a jerk. Uh, I know that, but I totally <laughs> his agree. Teeth don't match his face. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> They're perfectly white and straight. I mean, it's it's uh, his dentist is just fantastic. Yeah. I really don't like that guy, but I totally agree. I think they. They they yanked him out too fast, and then you have Dave Roberts is he's pinch hitting for regulars in the fifth inning. Uh, some of this bullpenning hashtag bullpenning has gotten Hey-o. managers a little bit out in front of themselves. I'm surprised all the starting pitchers aren't hitting eighth in these National League series. Hey, but, the way uh, Addison Russell was swinging it before last night, I just about wanted John <laughs> Lackey to hit eighth for uh, for my Cubs. Maybe next week we'll be talking about the Cubs in the World Series, Jay. Maybe so. Dun dun dun. I tell you what. Um, if they, this is interesting. My pop was born in 1950. If the Cubs and the Indians play in the World Series, you'll have two teams that will have not won the World Series in his lifetime that will be playing for the title. Uh, it was the Cubs 1908, Indians 1948. So there yep. you go. Very interesting. Cubs hadn't played in it since 1945. All right. All right. So that, that'll be a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of people will freak out. All right. Our thanks to Rick Cleveland, Michael Spurlock. Thanks for listening to MPB Season Pass. So the Remedy Kids and Teens is next on Think Radio.